Thank you, worship team. So I'm not cold. I'm, I'm wearing this for a reason. And the reason is that in our, uh, in our last series, we had four principles that we were trying to share with everybody of our vision. And at our small group, I would pose the question, what are the four principles? And they'd look at me and, um, no God. I'd go, yes. Uh, discover food, find fun, I don't know. And it was, it's like, guys, we, we, we did it each week. So I was thinking about it. What's the best way to remember? No God, find freedom, discover purpose, and yes. So I'm going to ask Ed to come up because this was a visual that kind of stuck with me and I'm hoping that it helps you guys so that as we ask this, everybody will be able to fill it in. So Ed is going to be God. He's taking confessions later. So Ed is God and I'm going to be the person who doesn't know God. So I come up and I'm going to get to know God. And as I get to know God, and as we hear from each other and talk, knowing God gives me freedom from my sin. So I'm able to take the things that I carry around and the sin that weighs me down all the time, and I'm able to leave it at the feet of God. And as I get to know God better, it's not just the sins on the surface. It's, it's the bigger things in my life that I think I can't be forgiven for. And I shed that. And I'm finding freedom. But sometimes there's something deep down inside, something that you just think there's no way I can ever be forgiven for that. That deep secret, that deep sin, that long thing that you've carried around. And that too finds freedom in God. And we're able to shed all of that because He forgives us for that. And as I continue to get to know God, God will tell me, my purpose. And then I'm able to take that and go make a difference. So I'm able to know God. I'm able to find freedom. I'm able to discover my purpose. And I'm able to go make a difference. Does that help? So thank you. Thank you, Ed. So as I was preparing for this message, um, man, I was hot with that on. <laughs> Um, I saw these four things in action because we're studying our, in our series here, Given. It's about Acts, and we're studying in Acts, and I was reading in Acts, and I saw these four things in the early church, and I want to point them out to you. But before I do, I want you to take a journey with me. I want to do a little time travel. So if you would, you, you can close your eyes and leave them open, but I, I want you to just imagine going back in time with me. So I want you to Get rid of your cell phone. Get rid of your computer. Get rid of your car. Get rid of your job. Sounded good, right? <laughs> get rid of all that. I want you to get rid of your clothes and I want you to put on your tunic and your sandals and I want you to put the turban on your head if you're a guy and I want you to go back to dusty, hot time back when the apostles were there and just after Jesus was crucified. I want you to go back there with me in your mind. So you saw Jesus. You were a group of 120 people that was together as the first church. And in your time, 
You saw Jesus. You were there. You, you were hearing His messages and, and you ate with Him and you saw Him do signs and miracles and you heard Him laugh and you joked with the apostles and all the other people. He was one of you. And you went and you traveled and you saw Him speak to tons of people and He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing and He would tell you He's the Messiah and He was the one who was to come. And you placed all your faith and all your hope in Him. And you could be around Him. And then you saw when they took Him and they betrayed Him. And Judas, one of yours, betrayed Him. And they put Him up on a cross and they nailed nails through His wrists. And you saw Him bleed. And you saw Him up there and people making fun of Him, people beating Him. And you saw Him die. You witnessed that. You saw Joseph come and take Him off the cross and wrap him, and you saw him put him in a tomb, and all your hopes are shattered. And then you start to hear rumors from people that they've seen him, that he was risen, just like he said he was. And then you hear a couple more people say that he was risen, and, and it's, could this be, could it be true? And more people say it, and all of a sudden, you see him. You see him, and he's alive, and you're witnessing it with your own eyes. In Acts, it says this. It says that he appeared over a period of 40 days, showing things that would convince people that he had risen. Wouldn't that blow your mind? Wouldn't it just blow your mind to be firsthand and to see him risen? So one day they were all together, and in Acts 1.8, we're going to take some scriptures out of the beginning of Acts, and then I want to do something with it. But... Acts 1.8 says this, that when Jesus had them together, he said this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. If I were there, I honestly don't, I don't know what I would do. I, it would blow my mind to actually have rubbed shoulders with Jesus, to eat with him and all those things and hugged him and touched him and have your hope shattered and then you see him risen from the dead. What would you do? How would you feel? But I can tell you one thing, that these apostles, they were lit. These guys were on fire. They were so invigorated. They went back to their town, and all of them, they would get together every day at the temple, and they would come every day, and you could not stop them from telling people about Jesus. And wouldn't you be that way too, if you saw this whole thing come around and you saw him risen? Wouldn't you be the same way? You wouldn't shut up about him. There were 120 hanging around, and then one day, on the day of Pentecost, they were all in the same room again. And it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in the same room. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And everybody heard it, and they came. Imagine this, all of you guys are here, we're having church, 
and the Holy Spirit comes and it comes down as fire on each one of us and you all start speaking a different language. And all the people from around the neighborhood, from across in that building down here, they all heard it and they all come to find out what the heck is going on. And as they walk in and hear us speaking language, there's a guy from Portugal and he recognizes he's speaking Portuguese. He's speaking German. He's speaking something from South Africa, from Lithuania and all these languages. It would be insane, wouldn't it? And the people all said, you know what, they're drunk. And Peter stood up and he goes, no, 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 they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Let me explain this to you. So Peter stands up and he explains everything about Jesus, how he was supposed to come and how he was the Messiah and they crucified and he's risen. And 3,000 people that day gave their life to the Lord. They said, I'm, I'm giving my heart over and I'll follow Jesus. You see, they didn't have a Bible. As they were walking around, they were writing the Bible. That was, that was the Bible in action. They were experiencing everything firsthand. And they were absolutely glued to what the apostles were saying. So they would come every day to be taught. And they witnessed all the apostles doing all these awesome signs and wonders. And I think that the, the apostles were the first Avengers. I'm just saying, I think that they were, if you're an Avengers fan. But in Acts 2, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But you see, all the chief priests, all the people who knew the law, all the royalty, they were really nervous about this because it was taken hold and they wanted to shut it down, but they couldn't. And they couldn't because those people were knowing God and finding freedom. In Acts 4.32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. And in Acts 5, it says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith which is awesome. Those guys would have had nothing to do with it earlier. And then we get this guy named Saul. So Saul knows the law inside and out, and he comes and he starts to persecute Christians. He starts to kill them. He starts to throw them in jail, and they all go, Phew! they scatter. They leave the area. Even the apostles, they split and they leave the area. And then God gets a hold of Saul. And you've heard the story on the road to Damascus. Saul has a huge conversion and he becomes a Christian, but they're already scattered. And you know, the cool thing about that is that's God's way of growing the church. What seemed like devastation, 
was the way that God used to grow the church. And oftentimes he uses something that seems bad for good. But then in Acts 9 it says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. You see, they discovered their purpose and they were making a difference. And the church was growing. So observations. So I was traveling this week, and I was in Kentucky, and I was started to prepare this, and I started to read Acts. I just started from the beginning, and I started to really get excited because I was doing this. I was envisioning that I was there. What's it like to be there? And I, I could feel the excitement of people as they really saw Jesus, and especially after he had risen. I saw what it would do and what I would do if I was there. And then I started to compare it to our church, to Shiloh. And I thought, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from the early church? What was it like to be there? And the first thing that kind of hit me was, these people weren't distracted. They weren't distracted at all. This was their distraction from, them, from their life. Seeing this happening, being around people who had actually been with Jesus, they woke up in the morning so excited. They went to bed excited. They shared Jesus with whoever they could share Jesus with. They were excited. And as, as I was reading this, I was getting excited. And it's like, you know what? I haven't been excited about my faith for, for a while. I know that sounds awful, but I haven't been this excited. I just, I just want to talk to somebody about Jesus. So I said, God, I have a plane trip tomorrow. Can I talk to somebody about Jesus? I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm able. And I got there, and I had checked in, and they lost my ticket. And I didn't have a flight. And I'm standing there, and they can't find my ticket. And the guy comes and he goes, we got to leave. We're six minutes late. We got to close the door. There's not another flight till 11 at night. And I'm like, fine. It must be somebody I'm going to talk to Jesus about. Okay, I'm ready. Maybe it's these ladies here. Maybe I don't know who I'm going to talk to Jesus about. And then they found my ticket and I got on the plane and the lady next to me slept the whole time. So I'm looking at her like, wake up. I, I got to talk to you about Jesus. But I didn't get to. But the cool thing was I had an expectation for the day. I woke up with an expectation that I was going to meet somebody that God would put in my path. And I was excited, and I wasn't distracted. So the question is, what distracts you? I had to ask myself, what distracts me? I shared at the first service, YouTube, I discovered how to YouTube surf. I didn't know that you could do this. I watched a YouTube video, and it came up, and when it was done, I didn't close it, and another one came up. It's like, I didn't know this. And I watched that video, and when that got done, another one came up. And before I knew it, I'd blown like 45, 35 minutes just watching YouTube videos. And I was kind of hooked. Like, when I go to the bathroom, I watch YouTube, you know? And uh, <laughs> you all must do it, right? But I realized how much time I'm wasted on YouTube, things that I've allowed to distract me. And, and then I thought... Where'd my excitement go? I used to really be excited about this. So I ask you, are you excited? And I know that you can't be on a, on a high all the time. There's life happens and it gets tough. But you know, if we're not excited to be a Christian, what is it about us that anybody would look at and say, I want what you have? So if that's you today, I encourage you, carve out some time. Maybe you've got to go sit under the stars and you just got to contemplate this God that we serve. Maybe you've got to go to the beach and look at the ocean. Maybe you've got to get out into nature. Maybe you've got to carve out some time and listen to a good worship time, worship song, and just let God speak to your heart just to renew 
that. There has to be something attractive about us. You see, we don't just rub shoulders with Jesus. He lives inside you. How much better does it get than that to have the creator of the universe actually living inside you? And you can't allow the world to knock you down. Ed and I had talked yesterday about how much bad news comes at us every single day and how we need to realize who lives inside us. So another thing about these people, this early church, they were on the same page. There was unity. They didn't have power struggles. They didn't have titles. They didn't have any attitude when they got together. They were on the same page. I would say if you want to find a perfect church, go to a church where there aren't any people. Right? That's the perfect church. Because where there's people, there's problems. Right? There's attitude. So don't be searching for a church like that. If you walk through the door and you carry the junk of the world into the church and you're looking to be offended, I guarantee you, you'll find it. But these people didn't have it. You know, at our elders' meetings, we pray for unity. And we pray for unity that we're of the same mind, but we're not the same. We say we want unity, not sameness. We don't want all of us to be the same. We want to be different. We want to celebrate our differences, but we want to be united. In this early church, they knew what their mission was. When they gathered, they knew what it was. So I ask you, do you know what your mission is? Our growth track is going to really help figure that out. If you don't know what your mission is here on earth, sign up for those growth track classes. And these people, their faith was increasing every day because they were learning and they were putting it into practice. You see, let me tell you something. It's, it's a blessing to be content with what you have. But it's a vice to be content with where you are. So let me explain that a little bit. It is a blessing to be content with what God's given you and what you have. But if you're content with where you are, it's not good. God encourages us to always be learning, always be growing, always be moving in a direction. And I always kid about this, but I think you get stinky. I think you become like your kitchen sponge. And your kitchen sponge, it's meant to be rinsed and squeezed out and rinsed and squeezed out. And if you just let it sit with that junky water in it, like at our house sometimes, you just get stinky. And we're the same way. We're supposed to be filled and we're supposed to be squeezed out. We're supposed to be filled and squeezed out for other people. That's how it's supposed to be. Another thing about this church, they had priorities. I love it that the Bible says this, they devoted themselves, meaning that they intentionally did this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to learning. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to spending time and supporting one another. I shared at our small group, I heard of this couple that they didn't have any kids, and they wanted to make a difference. They had goals for their marriage. And one of their goals was they wanted to support and encourage other couples. They wanted to be generous with the gifts that they had been given. So they bought an 18-bedroom house in Wyoming. And they made a goal to have 50 couples over in a month. That's 600 in a year, right? That's 1,200 people staying over at your house within the course of a year. I don't even know that many people. These guys did it, but they were generous with what God had given them. They were generous with it. So they spent time supporting one another, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to eating together, and to prayer, and to praying together. And they had it so other people's needs came before their own. And I love this verse. It said, And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. You see, they were generous. To sell a house, 
would any of us do that today? Would we sell a house and come lay it at Greg's feet and say, Greg, use it however the church needs it, right? I can't see it, but I've seen Shiloh do this. I've seen us as a church, people being generous with the gifts that we've given. Years ago when Joe Delangia, a young 30-something-year-old guy that used to go here, caught cancer, and Shiloh got right behind Joe, and we used to have a church flip this way, and we had a Sunday that we put up stools, and all these guys came and got their, their heads shaved to support Joe. We had a bunch of ugly, bumpy-headed, bald guys walking around, and it was awesome. It was Shiloh supporting a family. When Danielle got in her accident, went to the hospital, and Shiloh was there. Shiloh was there to give whatever they had to help Danielle and Bob. I've seen it when we've had people sick. Shiloh comes together, and the people here are generous with their time. They're generous with what they have. Countless times I've seen it. But you guys, if we have our fingers wrapped so tightly around what we have, we can't be generous. We can't release it. And if we can't release it, God can't put something else in for us. And our whole series is about generosity and using what God's given us within our church. These people had their sights set on eternal things. And I had to ask myself that question. Do I have my sights set on eternal things throughout the day? Or am I looking at just the world and what happens to me every day? So I think it works like this in a church. I'm going to put that picture up, Shannon. I think we each come with the gifts that God has given us. We bring them into our church. And if we're generous, we're going to use them. And we're going to give them. And we put them into the mix of all the people here. And we start to roll the snowball called faith. You can go to the next one. And it gets bigger. And everybody that comes, generous with your gifts, generous with your possessions, generous with your attitude, everything that you've been given. And we start to roll this ball. And people around, you can go to the next one, I guarantee you, a church that does this as you go, people are going to want to come and just roll the ball with you because something's happening. If we were this way in a mindset, in unity is a community. The people around here would know something's going on in that building on a Sunday. Something's going on with those people, and they're going to want to come and be a part of it. But I liken us to a hospital. This is where the sick come. This is where the people that are hurting come. And we're the staff. We're the staff of the hospital. In a hospital, you have to have somebody who cleans the floors and cleans up the messes and the blood. You have to have somebody do the radiology. You have to have somebody do the lab test. Somebody has to check the people in. Somebody has to roll them out in that wheelchair out to their car. Somebody has to perform the surgery. Somebody has to order the medical supplies. Everybody has a role to play. And we need to be generous with our gifts. That's how it works. We want the sick to come. We want the sick to come through those doors so that we can minister to them. And sometimes the people that work in the hospital, they get sick. And the people in the hospital take care of them. It's the same thing. It's the same way. So I'm excited about where we're going in Shiloh. I'm excited to see everybody play a part in this. And I realized I haven't invited anybody to church in like two years. I know we got those cool little cards that we have. I haven't invited anybody to church for like two years. I thought I should invite people to church. I'm going to say that on Sunday. I think you guys should invite somebody to church. And then I thought... No, 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 we've got to wait for a growth track. And then I thought, no, we don't. Let's just do it. Let's just start inviting people.
people to church. Come to the hospital. Come to the hospital. So here's my challenge to you. I want to pray for you, but here's the challenge. As you're part of Shiloh, as you're part of this community, if we have unity in our community, and if we understand what generosity is all about, we're mimicking the very first church. You'll get excited, I guarantee you. I guarantee you when you're excited about Jesus, things happen. So I want to pray for you for that. And I want to pray that you'd be active in our church, that you would be generous with the gifts that God gave you, that you would put them to use. And don't hold on to them, but be generous. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for these people that come to Shiloh and consider it their home church, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, that you would equip us, Lord, as we go out each day, that we would see opportunities for generosity, Lord. That we would be people of unity, that we would come into a situation, come into a meeting, come into our work, and that we would be desiring unity. That we wouldn't let the world take us down a path that we're not people of unity, Lord. Lord, I lift up Shiloh as we go forward and as we do growth track and we help people discover their purpose that they're set on fire. Lord, we serve you. You're an awesome, awesome God. And we have you living inside of us. And boy, the world would try to dampen it, Lord. They'd, they'd try to just pull us down, pull us backwards, shoot us down. But man, we already know the story. We have that Bible, Lord. We know how it ends. We know that you're victorious. We have no reason not to be excited. So I pray that you would just light inside each one of us this fire to go out this week and to be willing to share you. We have great news to say, great news to tell, Lord. So I pray for these people as we go forward that you would equip us, that you would give us what we need this week, Lord. And please bless Shiloh as we do this, Lord, as we perform this mission that you've given us, that we're good stewards with our church, that we're generous, and that we're people of unity in our community. With this, we thank you, Father God, and we ask for your blessing. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you.